welcome to 13, the bi-weekly podcast where one Colgate University community member answers 13 questions about their work. My name is Daniel DeVries, and today I'm talking with Associate Vice President for Career Initiatives, Michael Shiola. Shiola is an expert in job search strategies, leadership development, and team innovation education, along with career planning. Prior to joining Colgate in 2012, Shiola served for 17 years as the Career Center Director at Wesleyan University, where he helped alumni discern their passions and interests, discover opportunities and build skills, and ultimately to translate their liberal arts education into a lifetime of career success. Shayola is a graduate of the University of Rhode Island with a bachelor's degree in gerontology and business management and a master's degree in human development, counseling, and family studies. Michael Shayola, welcome to 13. Thank you. It's good to be here. So a little bit of an editor's note here. Uh, When we first recorded this podcast back in January um, with Mike, um, it was really before the um, the impact of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic became apparent. And um, it was one or two questions that probably, um, you know, didn't stand the test of time. So we thought it would be best to come back uh, and talk with Mike um, and kind of put everything together for this new, um, this new episode that does uh, take into account the state of the world. Um, and, and with that, uh, that also explains a little bit of the disparity in our audio quality throughout the podcast. So I hope folks uh, at home can bear with us, um, but hopefully it's not too bad. Um, Mike, I wanted to uh, start off with a, a question about where the world is now and career services in the time of COVID-19. Um, tell me a little bit about how things have changed in your world in helping um, Colgate students find, you know, their career path um, sure. or, have they, or have they not changed at all? Well, uh, as you said, when we were first recording this, we were chugging along Had a, uh, you know, the economy was very good. Uh, the outlook for hiring was uh, excellent. Uh, and then the world went sideways, as we all know. Um, so the immediate impact uh, on students uh, was questions about for those that had offers in hand or even had accepted offers, what were the status going to be? Mm-hmm. And for students that were in process that were still um, either in the middle of a series of interviews or hadn't even begun because of the industries, just the hiring um, cycle hadn't spun up. Um, so my colleagues in career services did uh, just an amazing job in the first couple of weeks of putting together a business continuity plan, um, reaching out to our uh, stable of employers that had been on campus uh, that are our closest partners to find out their status, uh, reaching out to students to get updates, and then to rethink the work that they do with students of how we might be able to keep the continuity going. Um, So like the rest of the world, we've become uh, experts in virtual meetings. Um, We're lucky in career services at Colgate in that uh, because our students uh, are often abroad uh, or doing interesting things other places, that we have a full-on um, technological capability where 
we're actually, we're already offering our employers opportunities to do uh, interviews by remote and our advisors for connecting with students uh, by remote. So it wasn't a technological issue for us. It was uh, a volume of how do you go to 100% virtual? So things like information meetings where an employer would come to campus and we would have 50 or 60 students in a room, how might we continue that? Um, so uh, my colleagues in career services uh, really took a step-by-step approach, looked at everything uh, that we had planned in the spring uh, and really have done a terrific job, I think, of, of uh, not skipping a beat. Um, then what, uh, what was happening is we started looking at what else do we need to do in order to support students. Um, so as we were getting reports back uh, from students where internships or uh, job offers were being put on hold, or switching to virtual. Uh, what did we need to do to support students in that? Um, for employers that were uh, also switching to virtual, how do we support them? Because we are partners. Um, and then looking at how do we keep the Colgate network uh, working and strong? So how do we continue to introduce students to uh, the power of the Colgate community? Um, on the thought into action side, uh, it was really disruptive in the fact that uh, the first weekend of April is our annual e-weekend, um, where we have hundreds of people coming back to campus. Each of our 30-plus uh, venture teams uh, had an opportunity to present their year's work. Uh, we had a full shark tank ready to go. And in the, the first couple of weeks, we knew that we weren't going to be able to hold that event. And so we had to spend a lot of time thinking about uh, how do we culminate the year. Um, and again, my colleagues on the thought into action side um, really did a terrific job of, of pivoting, of uh, putting together our, um, our mentors with the, our student ventures. Uh, and producing an online virtual showcase that's up and running now. It's had a terrific response. Um, uh, it's a, a website where you can go and view each of the ventures. Uh, the students have put up a summary of what they've accomplished for the year uh, with particular asks, and many of them have put up videos, um, short two-minute pitches about their product or service or idea. Um, we opened that up on April 18th, and within the first day, we had 1,500 visitors, and we've been averaging about 500 visitors a day since then. So on the career services side, you know, we're most concerned about, you know, students finding uh, continuity uh, with their career planning. Um, we've been uh, talking with them about how do you put a summer together? Um, that gets you the skills and experiences that you were hoping for out of an internship, um, but it might look different now. So pivoting to uh, skill building opportunities, uh, looking for virtual internships, uh, reaching out to not-for-profits, for example, and asking if they have a project 
uh, or a need that they just can't get to that the student might be able to to help with data cleanup or you know helping support a donor campaign something like that and for our thought into action entrepreneurial students the big message for them is uh, we've been telling you all year long that it's all about the pivot it's when you uh, when you hit a wall do you stop or do you find a way to climb go around or go through uh, and so for any of it, right? I mean, that's kind of uh, yeah. a good advice for career hunting as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the things that I've talked to all my colleagues on, in both programs about is that uh, one, this pandemic is unlike anything the world has faced before. It really is, uh, a, you know, a a world changing event. Two, those of us that have gone through things like uh, wars or 9-11, the Great Recession, uh, we have the perspective that uh, we'll get through this because we've had that experience. For students, they were were young uh, when the worst of the Great Recession happened. And as much as it shocks me to say that we have students on campus that we're either not born yet in 9-11 or we're just infants. Um, the truth is that this is the first time for our college students that they're facing uh, you know, this kind of disruption. And so the other thing that all of us are trying to do, and this goes to the full dean of the college staff as well in all of our working with students, is to give them space uh, for them to process, uh, to be okay, not being okay, uh, what's happening and to not just say it'll be okay. Um, but to help them think about it and, uh, to try and focus on what kinds of things are in their control now, uh, and, you know, how they might get through the summer and this, you know, until we're, we all get the all clear, um, you know, how they can continue to move forward and what kind of support is available to them. So that's how we've been approaching it. Nice. And now we will return back to our original recording. So you earned a bachelor's degree in gerontology and then a master's degree in human development and counseling. So how do those two things go together into a career that's focused on career development for college students? Yeah, Uh, I grew up in a four-generation household. So I had a grandmother and a great-grandmother. I can, my earliest memories are listening to my great-grandmother talking about uh, growing up in the plains of Canada with steam trains and... uh, you know, uh, horse-drawn buggies, and on up to Man on the Moon. So hearing her talk about her life uh, was always fascinating to me. Um, My grandmother uh, graduated from Brandon College in the 1920s with a bachelor's degree in education. So here you had these two really strong women who had fascinating lives, who I was growing up with. So my family dinners were talking about these stories that literally spanned a whole century. So I was looking at master, sorry, bachelor's degrees 
Uh, I really was drawn to the study of aging. Uh, for me, it was about knowledge and wisdom, uh, how uh, folks who are towards the end of their life are looking back and discerning uh, those life lessons and how they figured things out. So it was natural for me with the gerontology. I went on and got a master's degree that essentially is a counseling degree. Again, it's an opportunity to talk with people as they're trying to understand their lives from a different perspective. In both cases, what was specifically interesting to me was folks that were in transition, going from place of comfort uh, or a place of familiarity to something new and how you could successfully transition. So when I look at what my career has been about is uh, it's been being connected with people that are trying to figure this out. Uh, for college students, by the time they're graduating, they're, they've got it perfected and then in May of their senior year, we lay them off. Uh, so, and it's a very jarring experience. So being connected at that moment with students has always been something I'm passionate about. So let's say I'm a senior <laughs> and I'm, I'm headed into my last semester here at Colgate and I've just started my job search. What are the first steps that you suggest to someone who maybe walks into your office and says, I haven't done anything yet? Right. Uh, one, I would say to that person, today's a good day to start. So calm down. <laughs> uh, at Colgate, uh, it's rare that we would have a senior come right. in, um, in, their, in the last semester. But it does happen uh, for lots of reasons. Um, so one, I would tell them, hey, today's a good day to start. Um, two, what I would say is let's not talk about career uh, or even job. Let's start with uh, talking about you. What are you interested in? What are you good at? Uh, you know, what kinds of things have you discovered about yourself while you're at Colgate? So what has been your intellectual and academic journey here? So I would spend a lot of time trying to understand what it is that they have uh, really been drawn to here and then help them start thinking about those pieces that are most important to them that they want to take with them and then start understanding how the world of work is organized and where, um, you know, where you could start connecting the dots. More importantly, I think what I would want to say to, to that student is you don't have to choose the job that you're going to retire from hasn't been invented yet. So, you know, gone are the days of classified ad job hunts for the most yep. part. Um, and for those who haven't undergone a job search in a long time or ever, how has the landscape changed with respect to finding that first job out of school? Is it as simple as just searching on LinkedIn or finding one of those major job platforms? Or, you know, is there something else that people should do when they start looking? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that all of these job platforms have made it even harder. Mm. Uh, it's easy to roll over in bed and apply to a hundred different openings uh, before you even get up. That is not career discernment. Mm. That is not thoughtful. That is not even relevant to what, you're, what you want to be doing. So if you haven't thought about those initial pieces first, getting into a lot of these job boards becomes very overwhelming very quickly. You also need to know that if it's that easy, 
there's probably a million other people that are doing exactly the same thing, so you're not competitive. Unless you're an absolute perfect fit, technology has made it much easier for employers to weed you out. So you need to understand uh, you know, your own profile, what you're searching for, and what the unique pathways are to get in and get noticed. I always tell students that there's a, a magic formula, and it's one plus one plus eight. So when we talk to uh, recent alumni about their job search, I say, well, tell us how much time you spent uh, doing your job search and what did that look like? We hear about 10% of folks uh, are found their job through going to job boards. And then we hear about 10% of folks um, got it through like on-campus recruiting or through uh, specific company uh, websites. And then we hear about 80% of people find their jobs through personal and professional connections. Wow. So that networking piece. Mm -hmm. All three are important, but you have to get your perspective or your, um, your ratios right. So if you have 10 hours a week that you're going to devote to this, you want to spend that first hour figuring out, well, what are these big job boards? How do I set up a profile? How do I make them work for me? Just about every single one allows you to save searches. So you want to learn how they're organized and how to set that up so it is working for you. Mm -hmm. Second, you do want to pay attention to all the things that Career Services is providing and to uh, take advantage of all the opportunities that you get once in your life where employers come to you right. en masse. And then you want to spend – so you want that next hour is just really taking a look at all the things that not only Career Services but – Academic departments uh, are presenting in terms of alumni coming back and talking about their careers and opportunities. And then the last bit, these last eight hours, you want to start engaging the network. First, finding recent graduates that you're connected with to hear their story about how they found their way. It's going to be really informative so that you know what those first steps actually look like. But you also want to be looking for alumni and other professional contacts that are more senior because those are the conversations where you're going to be able to understand, well, what's the skill set, the competency um, profile that you would look for? Why would you hire someone like me? That's going to help you get connected with the network. Most important conversation that you can have with any of these contacts as you're networking is at the end, say, this has been a great conversation before I go. Are there two or three other people that you would recommend I connect with so that you keep that networking piece going? So you've written in the past that a liberal arts education is more relevant now than in generations past and that the arts, creativity, and innovation are essential competencies that all students should develop. Mm -hmm. So why do modern employers value these things more than they did, say, 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. So if you go back to the first thing we were talking about, this massive upheaval disruption mm -hmm. that is taking place uh, and is about to take place, uh, everybody is scrambling to understand the new landscape. Um, 
And so the folks that are going to be most valued are going to be the folks that have uh, the perspective and the skill to understand very broad themes and flows of change and to be able to pick out seemingly disparate pieces of information and uh, opportunity and to be able to frame questions in the right way so that that uh, whoever that employer is can take advantage of this change. So what are we talking about? We're talking about a liberal arts educated person who has great skill set, a great understanding of how the world is connected and interconnected and can frame those questions in such a way that uh, you can find opportunity uh, where others can't see it because they've been so... um, I guess, wrote in their education. Mm. Uh, So it's this T-shaped professional, somebody who has a a broad education and understanding of the world with depth in specific skill sets that's going to be the most successful employee. So what are some of the biggest mistakes or the most common mistakes you see on, say, student resumes? Oh, man. Uh, It's the same killers that we've always seen. Grammar and spelling count. Grammarly hasn't fixed this. Grammarly has not fixed this. <laughs> um, so that's right there. It's easy to weed somebody out. You know, if you're trying to say that you are uh, have great attention to detail and you spell something wrong, yeah. uh, that's a killer. Um, second, resumes really need to be targeted. Um, If you don't understand the employer, if you don't understand the position, if you haven't spent time to think about how you can uniquely position yourself to be the answer to that employer's need in filling the position, easy to weed you out. So vague, obtuse, um, not targeted uh, is not even going to get a look. And this becomes even more important because of these huge databases uh, where you have thousands of people applying to the same position. If there aren't keywords that are tagged to a specific employer uh, or to a specific role, you're not even going to make it to a human. Then when you sort through that pile and there's somebody who's reviewing your application, again, the more specific you can be on uh, your accomplishments and your impact, the more likely you're going to have an opportunity to actually speak to uh, a live person about uh, your interests and your ability. So resumes, and again, you know, it's the same theme we've been talking about this. Uh, For the student that creates a general resume that then, you know, sends it out to 100 places, you're generally not going to get anybody calling you back. Uh, make it specific. So, you know, following on that, biggest mistakes that you've heard of or you've seen people make on interviews, both either on the telephone or in person. Yeah. Uh, similar theme, uh, not having done your homework, mm. not preparing well enough to understand who the employer is, what the role is specifically how it fits within an organization, and then being able to tell your own story of how you uniquely fit the opportunity. Here's the thing I tell students. uh, By the time you're invited to an interview, you've already made it through the first hurdle. 
you're qualified for the position. If they're interviewing you and one or more other people, it's now your opportunity to, uh, to make the case that you're the right fit. Being prepared to talk about that fit is more than I'm interested in this and look, I've graduated from a great school. You need to be able to go top to bottom on your resume and be able to be prepared to say why absolutely everything that you've experienced has prepared you for this role. So I tell students you need three or four or five concrete examples of where you have demonstrated these skills. You're not an experienced hire, so you can't talk about having already done this role. Maybe there's internships. Uh, maybe there's leadership roles that you have that have been specific. But you really need to be able to prepare about, uh, be prepared to talk about everything on your resume in the context of the opportunity that's there. The problem then becomes students don't know this and they don't prepare well enough. Uh, so practicing mm. this becomes really important as well. So doing mock interviews, even to the point of taking a job description and uh, getting into the DNA and tagging everything that you have experienced to it so you're ready to go. Mm. So what are the some of the do's and don'ts uh, with regard to follow-up after an interview? You know, everyone's pretty much on email and social media. Um, is it appropriate for a candidate to say thanks via Twitter with someone that they met? Or is it more of a formal thing where you write a, a letter and maybe use snail mail? Like what is what, what works best? Yeah. Effort in, result out. If it is, it's really easy to send a, it's really easy to not follow up. And that's going to give you the least result. So one, absolutely follow up. Two, if you have an opportunity to send an email, great. Send an email. For the candidate that sends an email uh, and then follows up with a written note, if you have an address, uh, that distinguishes you. It's, we actually are hearing from employers how impressive it is that you've taken that extra step. You know, sending an email is in one way is saying that, you know, you, you value follow-up and that's really appropriate. Uh, but sending an email and then following up with a, a nice handwritten note or a type note says that you go the extra mile. And that's exactly who I, I would want to hire. Mm. Would you address a, a note, say you met with a committee, would you address it to a committee or would you address it to a single person like the leader of the committee? Or do yeah. they all get individual notes? Yeah, I'm going to give you the annoying career advisor all right. answer. Uh, it depends. Mm -hmm. um, so if, it, if you've met with a couple people uh, and you have their contact and there's something specific that you can note mm -hmm. to individuals uh, – then by all means, send an individual one. If uh, you met uh, with a committee, uh, I think it would be fine to address it to whoever was the organizer of the committee and say, please share. Uh, the follow-up thank you note or thank you email gives you one more benefit. If there's something upon reflection that you wish you had said, uh, or something that you want to amend or add, that's a good opportunity. Do it quick, short, succinct. Don't go on and on and on, but 
you know, there's an there's an added benefit to that. So how has the role of career services at a college changed throughout mm-hmm. your professional career? And what has been the result of that change over time? Yeah, lots of different ways. Uh, so when I first started, uh, my first career services full-time position was at Brown University. Uh, and we had uh bookshelves of binders. Uh, there were the ream, you know, those old dot matrix reams of paper where we printed out the entire alumni contact <laughs> database, uh, where we had binders that were by industry and by employer, where we used to, we would get faxes of jobs and we would post them. I can remember sitting on the floor on Sunday nights at the office sorting all of this into different binders. Wow. Um, and the real uh, challenge for students was finding opportunities. Uh, and But there were, you know, the, the easier part was making those connections uh, with people. Fast forward to now, uh, you literally have millions of opportunities at your fingertips. If you go to indeed.com, and you type in state of New York, you, you'll get 500, 600, 700,000 openings as a result, maybe millions. Uh, that gets overwhelming really fast. Uh, and so the, the, how it has changed is the conversation I used to have with students was much more about um, – you know, how to sort through the few opportunities that were there, how do you prep and prepare. Now it's all about how not to get overwhelmed by the opportunity and to get sucked into that and to go back to who are you, what are you really interested in. Uh, So in some ways, technology has uh, made it much easier to find opportunities and it's made it much harder to figure out how do you uh, make yourself stand out and even harder to figure out, well, which ones of these am I really interested in? So Colgate does a number of unique things with respect to helping students find their path in life. Can you talk a little bit about what the experience is like for a first-year student who arrives on campus on move-in day, and then maybe how they might interact with your office throughout their four years here? Sure. You know, career services here at Colgate has done an excellent job of finding partnerships across campus. Um, So we are are present during uh, first-year orientation and arrival day and uh, family weekends and also – so it's difficult to avoid us. (laughs) So that's one. Uh, What we've done is – uh, really looked at over the lifespan of your four years here. Have looked of where where we have appropriate have an ability to have appropriate conversations with students. So we don't want to talk to freshmen about what job you're going to apply to when you graduate. With it's not there, but we do want to engage students early. Um, so the the first opportunities that we present um, a day in the life program, which is over winter break where we have almost 500 alumni and parent volunteers around the country and and internationally who are offering a one-day job shadow. And we target that for first and second year students so they can get a taste of what professional life might be. 
Uh, and we do that by having students tell us what geographic uh, location and what broad industry areas they're interested in. We have a matching program. Software year, we have software connections, which is a, a winter break uh, weekend before the spring semester begins, intensive career discernment uh, conference where we have back about 100 alumni and parents, uh, some faculty and staff, and we invite the entire software class back to campus. We have about 500 students that are going to come next weekend for this. Uh, and we have different tracks where they get to understand what are the different industries, how are they organized, uh, what are the roles. Uh, so we help students start to understand how different industries have different rhythms and different entry points, but more importantly, what the experience might be like by hearing stories from alumni that have graduated that are out there. And so alumni are sharing their story of how they found their way and what they like and don't like about what they're doing. There are internships and job opportunities and research opportunities uh, for students beginning in freshman year uh, that they can uh, find by engaging with career services. So uh, we're out there talking to students in lots of different ways. Mm. Uh, Colgate is very generous in uh, providing internship grants for students who have an unpaid or low-paid internship. Uh, again, it's available for uh, all four years, uh, but what we really are focused on is students that are in that first or second year and third year that summer uh, and helping them to get that internship and be able to afford it. Again, it's another opportunity for students to get out, get professional experience, get immersed in a, a, a workplace so that they could start connecting their academic and intellectual interests with opportunities to engage with the world. So in Colgate's newly adopted third century plan, there's a section that outlines innovation fellows. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and you know what it might mean for students here? Mm -hmm. So uh, again, kind of a theme that we've been talking about today is the fact that uh, the world is changing. It's changing faster and faster and that students that are graduating this year are inheriting uh, you know, a couple decades where there's going to be a great upheaval and change in what work looks like. We talked about the really big um, global problems that this generation has to solve. One of the things that we're thinking about here at Colgate is how, uh, how to think innovatively so again, how do you frame questions versus how do you just answer questions? Um, so for, you know, what that takes is uh, somebody who has an innovative mindset that can understand, well, what are, uh, what are some of the parts that we're trying to discover here? Or what, what are we trying to understand here? Um, for us and what we're doing in career services uh, and with a new program, the Innovation Fellows program, is we're taking the uh, human-centered design paradigm uh, and finding ways to get our students introduced to that process and to see that it is very much like uh, 
the scientific method where you first come up with a thesis and then you start uh, going out and experiment to try and prove or disprove that thesis. When we talk about human-centered design or human-centered innovation, what's that really predicated on is this idea of empathy, understanding who your target audience is, what their particular pressures are, what those pinch points are, what the opportunities are, and then to move through a, a, a quick process of based on that understanding of that experience, what kinds of solutions or answers are possible, prototyping them, testing them out, refining, maybe going back, redoing the whole process again. So this idea of innovation um, being something that doesn't just happen, innovation can be something that uh, our students and our graduates uh, can manage and harness and move forward. You look at the tradition of liberal arts. This is what um, the you know this is what the Greeks were talking about: is understanding the world through study, uh, through observation, through experimentation, um, through the scientific method, through um, discussion and discernment. Uh, what we're finding now is given. Uh, where the world is and where it's headed, this is a crucial skill, competency, maybe even a survival skill that we have to arm our students with. So what we've developed uh, recently, this past year, uh, is a core of students that have been trained in human-centered design uh, and trained as facilitators to bring other people through this process. This is a collaboration between uh, my office and Karen Harp, who is a faculty member. Uh, she's in a, a dual appointment to geology and peace and conflict studies. Uh, for the last uh, few years, she's been running a um, – for the past few years, she's been teaching a design thinking course where students uh, will go through this human-centered design experience three times, culminating in uh, a major project or a major presentation at the end of the course. Uh, when we first opened Benton Hall, I was looking for some faculty to teach that first fall because we wanted, career, the, because we wanted the building to be more than just career services. We wanted it to be uh, a place where all campus life uh, had a place and had uh, had an opportunity to use the, the awesome technology in the new space. Uh, I'll interject real quick yeah. in, in that Benton Hall was our new career building uh, that yeah. was opened last year, right? Yeah. And uh, houses career services, thought uh, into action. Yeah. And our fellowships office, so um, fellowships our national fellowships and scholarships. And now the Innovation Fellows. All right. Um, so Karen came, Professor Harp uh, came and taught uh, her design class in Benton Hall that first year and, and our first semester. And I sat in uh, on some of those um, sessions and really was taken with uh, the process that the students were learning. It was an aha moment for me because I was like, this is exactly 
a missing piece for what our students are going to need to be able to thrive and survive in this new workplace. So Karen and I started collaborating and uh, we hired a few of the students that had gone through the course and we designed the Innovation Fellows program. So we now have a core of five students that have been trained in design thinking um, and are actually taking on engagements. So for the past 11 years, and you mentioned this briefly, Colgate has been home to a very special entrepreneurship program called Thought Into Action. In that time, 592 student entrepreneurs have started their own businesses or not-for-profit organizations through the TIA Incubator. And those projects have earned about $480,000 in funding, either through specific TIA awards or from outside investment. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with TIA and the impact that you've seen the program have um, on Colgate students? Sure. Um, so my role is uh, to oversee not only career services, but uh, thought into action, entrepreneurship at Colgate. Um, in both cases, uh, the number one uh, goal for my job is just to not break anything. <laughs> so uh, I have incredibly talented teammates on both sides of the house. Uh, for Thought into Action, it was started by uh, Colgate alumni, uh, Andy Greenfield, uh, and, uh, and now Wills Hapworth uh, are part of the team that work with students who start with an important question, uh, and it is, what problem do I want to solve? You see, the theme is yes. still running yeah. through here. Um, I think a lot of students hear the word entrepreneur, and they think that you have to have that home run, knock it out of the park sort of thing. So being an Elon Musk or being a Steve Jobs or... Um, or whatever, that you have to have a great idea. Um, what we find in TIA is that you have to have a problem that you experience, that other people experience, or at least you think other people experience. And that could be anything. Um, so our process is for students to uh, first... Um, hmm. So our process is for students first to start to articulate what problem they want to work on and then come in and start working uh, with our mentors and with uh, the program that we have here to start refining their problem statement, to start going out, um, seeing if this is actually a viable uh, solution that they're thinking of, uh, and along the way to start discovering some things that are really important to the entrepreneurship experience. One, failure is essential. If you're not failing, you're actually not doing anything. Um, two, uh, that your first idea almost always is terrible and that if you stick with a bad idea, uh, you're not going to get anywhere. So you have to find the, you know, this, you know, prime relationship between uh, your passion for a solution and being able to hear your customer or your service base uh, 
and understand that your solution uh, may not be what other people really want. So um, we uh, put a call out in the spring for students that are interested in um, being part of the program. Right now. Yeah, so uh, a little bit later, so February. But yeah, so right now, spring semester. Um, uh, What we want them to do ideally is to come as a team because we know that teams are much more effective than individual people. Uh, and to be able to at least articulate an idea of a problem they want to solve. Um, and if they've got an idea of a solution, we want to hear about that. We also want to hear about their commitment uh, and how they are, um, you know, how they're going to make this happen. Uh, TIA is not for credit. It's not for pay. Uh, It takes a lot of time, so you need to be able to uh, commit to actually moving your program, your process, your your solution, your venture is what we call it, forward. Um, And so we're looking for that, um, you know, for that spark, the Verstaven, the guts uh, for somebody that that are going to do that. So we often are asking questions. questions about, well, tell us about another time that you're really committed to something. We find that athletes are great entrepreneurs and great people for the program. Uh, anybody who's, who's uh, been committed to a, an organization is really good. Uh, and then we go through the process. They start in the fall. We have an introductory uh, uh, first meeting where we talk about uh, the importance of showing up, kind of your own personal brand, that we don't do anything for you. You have to do it for yourself. The commitment is everything. Uh, and that if you don't want it enough, then no one else is going to want it for you. And then each month, our students will come uh, for a full Saturday. We have a uh, core of about 25, 30 alumni that come back every month to work with this, uh, with our student ventures. Uh, and then we have a, a larger community of about 150, 160 alumni that are part of our mentor core. Mm. And so students get to start developing their idea. We are agnostic, which distinguishes us from other campuses in that we're not just businesses. We're not just technology. We have uh, ventures that are not-for-profit, service-oriented. We have ventures that are arts, where students are creating original material, film or music or um, you know textiles, things that they're creating. Um, we do have a lot of ventures that are food-related or our tech uh, app-related. And over the last 11 years, we've had some just incredible successes, more so than uh, most other schools in our class, Mm. liberal arts schools. Um, So it's been really fun. I, uh, when I first got here, I was only working with career services. And about five years ago, 
thought into action became part of my portfolio. Mm-hmm. And it took me uh, a full year to understand the, the magic of the process. Uh, and then my involvement has been uh, to re- really be a good apostle for, uh, for what we have going here. We have, um, and thought into action, we actually have two different levels. So that first year we call our 100 level, and it really is for students to um, figure out their problem and their solution and to be able to perfect their pitch, to be able to talk to other people about it, maybe develop and launch their venture. And then we have a 200 level, and it's think about it as the moment that you incorporate or you file for uh, an employee ID number or you start to raise money. So at the moment that it becomes a real entity, mm. that's the 200 level. And that's where the fun stuff like filing taxes and <laughs> doing budgets and hiring people comes in. But by that time, our students are so committed to what they're doing that um, they're really good at this uh, and moving it forward. Yeah. If you take a look at the three Uh, pieces of the puzzle here. You've got the career center where we're helping students understand themselves, start to understand where, how the world of work is organized and then what their pathway is, where their entry point is. That's one way that Colgate is supporting our students. Then you have the thought into action where students have a problem that they want to solve and we're helping them develop that product or service or not-for-profit organization or that original uh, art or art form. Uh, So they're creating uh, opportunities. And now with the Innovation Fellows Program, what we're doing is creating an awareness of what that process looks like and how you can apply it to existing jobs and employers or to your own venture as a package I think Colgate is uniquely positioning our students for success in this crazy world that our generation, you and I, Dan, have created for them. And we're back on April 30th with an update to the 13th question. Um, Question 13. Um, One of the things, uh, of the many things that have changed or that we've lost um, since the pandemic began is the, the, it's kind of the... uh, the sunset on handshakes and curious in the career world, what that, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of stories have been written about proper handshakes in an interview. Um, but what is lost either by not having a handshake or is it, or what is lost by not having that in-person interview, um, yeah. for, for these students? Yeah. So it's a couple things, you know, um, psychologists and sociologists and anthropologists tell us all about the fact that those first few seconds of, of the, the face-to-face um, meeting and greeting is so important. So we, we tell students all the time about how you're going to curate that first 15 to 30 seconds. So coming into the room with confidence, smiling, having a good handshake that you've practiced, having an opening line, um, matching the energy of the person that you're meeting. Um, It's again, it's all gone sideways. So uh, 
for folks that are listening in, uh, I don't know if you're experiencing the, the Zoom fatigue uh, of, you know, just the amount of energy it takes to be, you know, trying to keep that human connection going. We're hearing from students uh, that, you know, their classwork is, is really more exhausting. Um, quite frankly, we have to get our heads around what is that social interaction going to look like? Um, so when we're coming back and starting to um, think about this next recruiting cycle, uh, if it's going to be virtual, what do we need to talk to students about in terms of making those first impressions? Um, how do you, uh, you know, how do you build rapport through a tiny screen? Um, and there are, there are techniques that we have been talking to students about because they've been doing a lot more remote interviewing even in the last few years. Um, but I do think that the world is going to have to uh, rethink uh, what those connections are going to look like uh, and understand that we may have to make some more room uh, for building that rapport. And uh, if anything, uh, I think one of the positive things that's coming out of this is we're all learning a lesson in how important it is to slow down and to ask each other, how are you doing? And then listening, uh, spending a little bit more time. And I think that, you know, um, uh, I think that will manifest in, um, you know, in the work that we do with our students, but also those connections with all the employers that are going to be uh, eagerly awaiting the next Colgate candidate uh, because they know um, even through this COVID experience, uh, Colgate is strong and the students are extraordinary and they have a bright future. Mike, thanks so much. I appreciate you recording twice with us. Uh, my pleasure. That was 13. Make sure to tell your friends and family about the podcast and let us know how we're doing. Email 13 at colgate.edu, that's 13 the number, with your thoughts or ideas, and let us know if you have any questions you'd like to have answered. Have a wonderful week, and as always, keep asking questions. Thirteen is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications. Audio engineering by Brian Ness. Logo art by Catrail Pritz. Executive producer, Laura Jack. And I'm your host and producer, Dan DeVries. Visit colgatemagazine.com and colgateresearchmagazine.com for more in-depth faculty research stories.